Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22. It's the first book in the, in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have uh, ushers who would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible, <clears throat> throw your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, uh, throw your hand up, grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. Turn to uh, the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. But before we uh, actually jump into uh, Genesis, I've got just a, a quick announcement. As you know, or may not know, we are uh, one church with, with two locations right now, soon to be one church with three locations as we look to uh, expand to a, a north and south Muskoka campus. But right now we also have a campus in Perry Sound. And just uh, this past week, uh, weekend. I wanted to just to highlight, now obviously Perry Sound knows what's going on because they've done it, but I want you guys to hear what God's doing there. <clears throat> they wanted a, a way to reach into their community so that the, they'd have an opportunity for the door to open and say, hey, why don't you come out to our church? Why don't we, why don't you hear, uh, come to a place where you can hear about Jesus? But to, to do that, you need to have kind of that door open. And so like, what can we do to let Perry Sound know that we're here, let Perry Sound know that we love them? And so uh, Godfrey, the campus director there, came up with an idea, hey, let's throw an event. Let's throw an outdoor free event where, where we can have like face painting and cotton candy and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we, can, we can show a, a movie on a big outdoor screen. And so that's what they did. And they're like, I don't know how many people are gonna show up. You know, we'll send a bunch of flyers. Well, hopefully people show up for it so we can, we can talk to them and meet them. And well, here's a picture of, that's uh, how many people showed up. So it's pretty cool. So yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> Praise God for that. So what happened was Godfrey got up he, he, on video and he talked about, hey, here's why we're doing this. And he gave the gospel uh, of we love Perry Sound because Christ loves us and because Christ loves you. And he went through the gospel. He says, Kai, after I shared that, people cheered. Then, then they, couldn't, they couldn't get over the fact that, can't we give you money for this? Why can't we pay for this? It's free. It's free because the gospel's free. Let me tell you about Jesus again, right? So they had this amazing opportunity. So to be praying for what God's doing in Perry Sound as he continues to grow that church there and uh, excited about what he uh, has done. They're going to do one more of these uh, at the end of August. So be praying again about that. All right, you got your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> We're continuing in this series. This is actually the last sermon of this series called Increase. And we've been talking about what does it look like as God stepped into Abraham's life to increase Abraham, not just so Abraham could be increased, not so we could have more stuff and, and more blessing, but he says, I'm going to increase you so that you can increase others. I'm going to increase you so that you can be a blessing to others. And, and we know that through Abraham would come Isaac, his son, and through Isaac's uh, uh, lineage would come eventually the Messiah, that Jesus would come. That there would be a blessing for, for the world that would come here. And, and so we talk to you, what's it look like when God begins to step into our lives to increase us, to increase our faith, to increase his blessing in our lives. And here we come up to the, the last story we have that we're going to talk about with Abraham's life as God continues to increase him. Chapter 22, verse 1 starts off this way. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. <clears throat> it's interesting, this idea of a test I remember when I was in grade nine, it was, uh, I, when I went into grade nine, there was a couple classes back in the 80s. They had the classes kind of divided up in, in basic, general, advanced, and enriched. Enriched was where like super smart kids would go through that. And for some reason, when I was in grade eight, they signed me up for some of these enriched classes. I think they may have got names mixed up. I'm not sure how it happened. So here I am in one of these enriched classes, enriched geography. Now in enriched classes, they do things a little different sometimes, right? Because they trust the kids. They can do things a little weirder. So the, the teacher, Mr. Waterhouse said, okay, here's what we're gonna do for the midterm exam. Whoever gets the highest mark, they get 100%. We're going to mark this on the curve. Everybody else gets a grade under that 100%. And then he left the room in rich class, right? You never leave a normal classroom during an exam. Susie left the room. I stood up on my desk and I said, okay, everybody, if no one writes anything, we all get 100%, Right? <laughs> Because zero is the highest. Like, this is going to be amazing. Now, remember, it's an enriched class, so smart people were in there. So you can imagine what they're doing. They're like, shut up, as they're writing, right? Sit down. In fact, I've told the story to Libby, my wife, and she said, it's good we never met in high school because <laughs> we never would have gotten married. She would have been one of them telling me to sit down. So here's the thing. Why did I think that was a great idea? Because I didn't study much for that exam. And that exam was going to reveal something. That test was going to reveal that I really didn't know as much as I should have known. And today we're going to see this unbelievable test in Abraham's life. 
God placing this this test on Abraham, why? To see what's really going on in Abraham's heart. And here's the thing, tests come in our lives as followers of Christ. If, If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to face tests. But the tests of God, they're never random. God always brings tests into our lives as an opportunity for our hearts and for our lives to be increased, for our faith to be deepened. The tests are designed to grow us. Like like lifting weights is hard, but it it tests your muscles and grows your muscles. I read it on a blog somewhere that it does that. I've tried it once. Weights are so heavy, I gave it up. But anyway, so these tests are from God. Why? Because they deepen our faith. A test is so much different than a temptation. Temptations come from Satan to tear us down. Temptations come to destroy us. So so Satan's at work trying to tear us down while God's at work in tests to deepen our faith. And we read about this in James 1. James 1, 2 to 4 says that that when, not if, when we're hit with trials, that that testing of our faith, what's it do? It produces steadfastness. Those trials produce steadfastness and steadfastness, when it's, when it's had its full effect, it'll, it'll make us more complete. It'll make us more mature. It will deepen us, make us more Christ-like. So this, these tests, these trials are meant to be used by God in our lives to increase our faith where the temptation then comes in the midst of that test to wear us out to tear us down. And and how you respond in the midst of a test reveals which way you're gonna go. Deepened in your faith or destroyed. There's so many people I know who who used to have a vibrant walk with God, who used to to be following Christ with, with just so much energy and passion who aren't now. And what happened is they went through a time of trials. They went through a time of testing. And, and rather than being built up, they grew bitter and angry and, and apathetic towards God. I mean, some of you right now, you're in the midst of a test. I mean, some of you are like, like a, a hardcore final exam kind of test right now. Which way do you find yourself going? My prayer is this, that as we unpack what's going on in Abraham's life, that, that if you're in a test right now, that you'll find hope. That if, if you're in a test right now, you'd be challenged by what God's word has to say. Because here's the thing, a test, again, a test is meant to increase our faith. Temptation's meant to tear us down. How you respond in a test determines which way you'll go. So before we uh, jump into the word here, let, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, at times, following you feels like it's killing us. It feels like to be obedient to you, God, that that something in us has to die and something we love dearly. And and Lord, it's hard. So Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. You give us wisdom by your spirit to be able to see what you're at work doing so that, that our faith can be deepened, so that we can learn more about who you are. God, I pray even this morning that by the power of your spirit, Lord, I can speak to ears, but only you can speak to hearts. Only you can apply your word in a way that I never could, God, so that this morning each one of us would know you more more of who you are, more of your love for us, more of your call on our lives. God, we pray this morning for a faith to understand. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right, just two points this morning as we dig in. First is this, if you're taking notes. First, I wanna look at what is the test? The test. How do I know it's a test? Because it says right here it's a test. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here am I. You have to understand that him saying, here am I. It's not like Abraham's like, it's just a way they say, hey, what's up? Hey, how are you? No, no, here am I. It's, it's a, a phrase of surrender. It's this, this statement where he's saying, I am yours, Lord. Which is interesting if you think about it, because if you, you think about every time that, that God's called Abraham over the time we've been tracking with his life, every time God steps in to say, hey, Abraham, he usually calls him to leave something sacrificially or calls him to do something ridiculously hard. And I can imagine if you, know, you get those, 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 those people that they, they call you on your cell phone and you look and you see who it is and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to answer this. 
right? I can imagine that Abraham and Sarah just hanging out and, and God calls and he looks at his cell phone and Sarah's like, who's it? Oh, it's God. Oh, just let it go to voicemail, right? But no, that's not what's happening here. God says, hey, Abraham, and he says, here am I. Now, why would he do that? Why would he say, I'm, I'm yours, Lord? Because Abraham trusts God. The difference in, in a life of drudgery in the midst of a test or a life of joy in the midst of a trial is whether or not you trust Jesus in the midst of that trial. I mean, you show me a happy Christian, I'll show you someone who's learned how to trust God. You show me somebody with joy in the midst of trials where you say, how could you have joy right now? Somebody's learned to trust in God. Someone who's learned to, to, to know how good God is. Someone who, who knows how committed God is to them. And so here's Abraham. And let's look at the test that God calls Abraham to. Verse two says, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. He says, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. Take him up to this, this place I'm gonna show you and sacrifice him there to me. I mean, listen, I can talk a lot about my faithfulness to, to, to following after God, but, but until some real testing comes in, man, I don't think, listen, I don't know it. Uh, I haven't really learned it until God steps in. And, and, and listen, God will step in to test our faith. Why? Because he wants to mold us and make us in the image of Jesus. And then oftentimes these tests are not comfortable. Sometimes it feels like you are laid out on the operating table of God's hospital and he's got his scalpel out and he's saying, this has to go. And he's cutting away at something. It's, it's painful. And, and you're like, I don't like this. But if we jump off the table before he's done the work, we miss out on the healing at best. At worst, we injure ourselves even more. God has a test for Abraham. Here's the thing. We know it's a test. Abraham didn't know it was a test. And think about how brutal this test is. I mean, it, it, it seems so illogical. God, God's asking Abraham to do something ridiculous, something that's so horrific. On, on more than one level, it's ridiculous. On, on one level, it's this. Here he has his son Isaac, the son he's waited for years for. The son promised to him that, that through your family, the world will be blessed. He's given the promise of Isaac finally. And now God says, now sacrifice that promise. <coughs> I mean, Isaac represented everything to Abraham. The child of promise, what they've been looking for for years, what they'd have all their hopes and dreams and affections are centered on this child. And now here he is as an old man. All Abraham has is this child. It's what he loves. It's who he lives for in the whole world. And God says, take that and sacrifice him. It's ridiculous on that level, but it's, it's horrific on another level. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you, you can move past this pretty quickly because maybe you grew up in a time where, where you know, you've done this in Sunday school. You've colored the pages where you've, yeah, Abraham and Isaac, what a great story. And, and we can move past it so quickly. And in doing so, we miss out on how horrific this is. I, mean, I don't want to be overly graphic, but to, to sacrifice his son would mean this. He would need to slit his throat, dismember him, and then burn the body parts on an altar. This is horrific. I mean, even just to think about it, it's, it's horrifying, and, and, and I don't want to move past this too quickly. Abraham's being asked to do something so horrific. He left the Ur of the Chaldeans. The, the worst of the pagans there would do this, but he left that behind. He's, he's living in Canaan, and, and the Canaanites would, would sacrifice children, but he's not a part of their culture anymore. We read in Scripture that even God says to sacrifice children is an abomination. It says in Scripture that he hates it. So how can God, the God of grace 
and truth, the God of love and mercy, call a man to sacrifice his son. I mean, this is so difficult. We, we can't just blow past this, what, what God is asking Abraham to do. It should make us very uncomfortable. This, this shouldn't sit well with us. This should be one of those parts of scripture where you go, man, I, I don't know if I like this. I don't, if I'm sharing Jesus to, to my neighbor who doesn't know who Christ is, I don't want to tell him about this. I wish this wasn't in here, what God's asking him to do. How could he do this? We're going to unpack that a little later on in this message. But for now, here's what I want us to understand as we walk through this. Understand that this test that God's asking of Abraham was to let go of that one thing that brought him hope and life. So as we walk through this, when you hear Isaac, when you think about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about that one thing that we treasure most in our life. That one thing that we have that makes life worth living for. There's a lot about this call here that God puts on Abraham's life in chapter 22 that's, that's very similar to all the other times in Abraham's life that we've been tracking through. It's, it's very similar. He, he says, go to Moriah, go to a place I'll show you. I'll show you the mountain when you get there. Go and I'll show you later. He, over and over again, God's doing this in Abraham's life. Go and I'll show you. Abraham's life's been this life of faith. But there's something different about this call too. For sure it has that part in it, but there's, there's something so different. Every other time that God called Abraham, he promised him something better. When they first met, God said, hey, Abraham, leave your kindred, your land, your, 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 all your stuff behind you, and I'm gonna make your name great. I'll make you into a nation, and, and through you, the whole world will be blessed by you. He said, leave everything. Leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your land. But I'll tell you what, Abraham, I'm going to give you back much more. Leave your land and country, I'm going to make you into a nation. Leave your father, I, I, I'm going to make you the father of nations. You're, you're barren right now, but I'm going to bless you and your wife. God said, leave it all and I'll bless you. And he did. I mean, after years, they, they finally get this, this blessing of a son, Isaac. His name means laughter. Probably laughter because it's an elderly couple having a baby. I mean, that's a bit of a joke. But laughter, too, because of the joy that the promise is finally here. This huge blessing. He finally has a son. He finally gets his inheritance. Abraham and Sarah finally get their greatest desire met. They got what they desperately wanted. Finally, finally leaving God was worth it. That they'd be a testimony in church where they would say, listen, we gave up everything, but look what God gave us. They now have what they want and it's in that moment God steps in and says, now give that up. Abraham, give me Isaac. Give up your future, give up your name, give up your dreams, give up your hopes, give up your love. I mean, in Isaac, Abraham finally had everything that he wanted and God said, give him to me. You have to understand something. He didn't say, hey, kill Isaac. I mean, he could have did that in the tent. There you go, Lord, now what? No, he said, sacrifice him, give him to me. Now, every other sacrifice that, that God asked of Abraham always had this promise attached. He, he would, God would say, I'm gonna make this sacrifice worthwhile. Give up and I'm gonna give you so much more. Give up the land, you're getting a better one. Give up your inheritance, I'll be your inheritance. Give up your son, Give up your kindred, I'll give you a son, you'll be a nation. And I'm gonna tell you, uh, our modern Christianity loves this kind of preaching. You hear preachers all the time, if you just give up, God's gonna give you so much more, so much better. I mean, nobody leads off with, with if you follow Jesus, your life is probably gonna suck. No, nobody says that. If you go with God, God will probably send you somewhere. You will die in obscurity as you serve him. No one will ever remember you. A couple people might mourn your loss, but God will be glorified. <coughs> Nobody leads off with that. 
Jesus did. Jesus said, take up your cross, die to yourself to follow me. 1 Timothy 3.12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus says, you will suffer. And, and we're like Lloyd Christmas on Dumb and Dumber. We're like, so you're saying there's a chance. I mean, nobody calls people to Christ like that. Nobody says following Jesus is, you know, if you follow him, who knows, 50-50. Could be hard, could be good. I'm not too, not too sure. It's, it's gonna not be easy, that's for sure. But what do we say? We say, give up this bad relationship. God's gonna give you so much better of one. Give up this and God's gonna give you the best spouse. God will give you the best house. God will give you the greatest health. God, God's gonna give you the best kids. If you give it all up, God will bless you with all of this. I mean, if you were with us last week when Pastor Trevor Peacock from Calgary is up here sharing their story, their journey with their daughter, goes in for routine surgery, comes out, now confined to a wheelchair and blind through the journey, not even knowing if she was going to live. And if you were to say, hey, Trevor, like, like I, I think God just says he'll just keep over blessing us with everything we ever wanted, Trevor would stand up here and say, who told you that? Trevor would say, I lost the perfect picture I had of a daughter, but God didn't promise me a daughter who wouldn't be in a wheelchair. God didn't promise me a daughter who wouldn't be blind. God promised me something so much greater than that. God promised that my sin is gone, that my eternity is guaranteed. I mean, I loved last Sunday, I loved after the service, I was praying with some people up front and, and someone from our church who, who, because of an accident, can't walk on their own any longer, has to walk with a walker, comes up to pray with hope, his hope's in the wheelchair and they're just having this great conversation together and, and he's saying to her, hey, keep praying for healing, don't give up on that, you keep praying for healing. But then he said this, but, but listen, Hope, we don't need to walk to praise Jesus. I mean, we can so focus in on the temporal gifts. Listen, the gospel is not this. God will give you everything you ever wanted. That's a lame gospel. Most people looking in on that kind of gospel being sold today would say, then why would I ever need Jesus? Man, I can get all that stuff on my own and I don't have to worship anyone. I don't have to submit my life. I don't have to be indebted to anyone. Why do I need God? What's going on here for Abraham is a much different call than he'd heard earlier. And you start to ask the question as you're reading through this, when God gives him this final test, you start to ask, man, I wonder what was motivating Abraham up to this point? I mean, was Abraham motivated by the blessings? Abraham, follow me, leave the land, I'll give you a bigger land. God, I, I don't have a son, follow me, I'll give you a son. Is that, is that why Abraham was following? I mean, up until now, we don't really know. Will, will Abraham still stay faithful even when the treasures are removed? Would you love God without all the treasures? And that's a question I've asked myself this week studying this. Would I love God without all the treasures? Because here's the thing. God's not asking Abraham just for a sacrifice this time. He's asking him to surrender, to say, hey, Abraham, give it all. Follow me for me. I mean, why do you and I follow God? Do, do we follow God so we have a, a better marriage, so we have better kids, so we have the better life? I mean, God's asking Abraham here, saying, Abraham, let go of all of that. All those things you have as the foundation for your life, let them go. If you think about it, every one of us has a foundation we're building under our life. Whether you're, you're spiritual or not, or religious or not, all of us have these things that are so profoundly important to our self-image, to our hope, to our joy. They become this foundation for our soul. You think, well, what are those things? They're those things that if you lose them, you lose your joy. If you lose them, you lose your meaning, your significance, you lose your security. But listen, any foundation we put under us apart from God is a weak foundation. Everything else will fail you. Our health can't be our foundation. It will fail us. Our family, our relationships, our finances. What it means to follow Jesus is you begin to see the reality 
to realize there is no security, there is no foundation apart from God. In fact, Hebrews 11 verse eight talks about what Abraham was thinking as he was called to go. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went. Why? For he's looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham's looking at his life going, I have these foundations that, that aren't holding up my soul. He's looking for a better foundation. And in our lives, there will always be these trials that come in, these tests where God is, is sending us into a storm. Why? Because in the midst of that storm, he's destroying these foundations that we've built. And he's saying, hey, listen, your heart says you, you have to have this to be happy. Your, your heart says you need this to have significance and, and importance. Your, your heart says you, you need this to have meaning. But I, I want you to know, God says, all you need is me. In the midst of those trials and those tests, it feels like everything is crumbling around us because those foundations are crumbling. And we, we hold on to them so tightly. I would say this, we, we hold on to these foundations as though they're our God, they're our Savior. And we say, God, listen, I'm cool with following you, but don't touch this. You leave this alone. This then becomes your God. God, I'll trust you, but only as long as you don't disrupt this. Lord, Lord I, I, I believe in this, and I don't want to read in your word that you disagree with me on this. God, I don't want you to take this away from me. God, I don't want you to remove this from my life. God, God I'll only trust you if I can hold on to this. Don't tell me to give this up. This is where my hope is. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the God in your life, God is the non-negotiable thing in your life. That's your God. So, so what are we saying when we hold on to these? Lord, Lord, I, I'm willing to pray to you. I'm willing to, to follow you, but, but, but I, I need you first to meet who my real God is. I need you, Lord, to help me get to this real God question is, why are we following God? Would we surrender these blessings to get God? Would we surrender the treasures? Will, will we love God without the treasures? I mean, verse two, he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It's kind of like it just ends. Abraham, go take your son and, and offer him up as a sacrifice. I can picture Abraham going, and you'll give me a better son? No, God says, don't just go. I mean, this is the test. This is the test. What is your foundation? What is your motivation in following God? In fact, John Piper asked this heart-piercing question in his book, God is the Gospel. He asked this, <clears throat> the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you have on earth, all the food you've ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted, and no human conflict, no natural disasters, would you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I mean, that, that question hit me. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe I would take that heaven. Am I following God for the blessings but not following him for him? And then, then what does God do? The, the problem comes because God comes in his love because he sees that this is becoming our foundation. We're grabbing a hold of things that, that can't save us, that are actually rotting our soul, these poor foundations. And God steps in and in his love, he begins to pry our fingers off of it. And it's so painful as he's doing it. The storms are so real. But the question we need to answer is, am I, am I willing to follow God? if there's nothing in it for me but Jesus. 
We start to wonder, well, will Abraham pass this test? Let's read on in verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid the wood on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. He has the fire and the knife. He has the judgment and death as he walks up the mountain. It's in verse seven that Isaac asks the crucial question. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here, here am I, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, that question must have pierced Abraham's heart. Hey, where's the lamb that we're gonna sacrifice? Look at Abraham's answer though. His answer begins to reveal where his faith was. His answer begins to reveal that Abraham's passing this test. Look at verse eight. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. I mean, Abraham knew that Isaac was the promise. He, he knew that God had called him to sacrifice Isaac. He couldn't figure out how do these, these two things jive together? How, how, do these, how, how can these be reconciled? But he, he couldn't figure that out. But one thing he knew was, I can trust God. Amen. He said, God will provide. God can bring about a promise and a sacrifice. God can bring about justice and mercy. And he says, I don't know Isaac, but I trust God. He's passing the test. He's, he's put the resolution of this in God's hands. He says, God, you have this. You've got this. And he makes this brutal three-day journey. I mean, can you imagine what that was like, climbing up that mountain for three days with your son? Imagine what the conversations would have been like around the campfire. Imagine the meals you would share, how difficult that would have been. And how does Abraham do it? He's trusting in God. He's, he's releasing the grip as he's going. And, and I think about this, I, I can trust God in flash moments. Like if I, if I hear a convicting sermon and the, and the pastor says, hey, hey, would you stand as a, a moment of commitment? Would you come forward? Would you raise your hand? Like in those moments, I can muster up the, yeah, you know what? I do wanna stand for Jesus. I do wanna make this commitment. And, and here's the thing though, what's it look like after three days? When the rush of the decision wears out, when bitterness sets in, when, when doubts start to grow, when, when fear begins to grip my heart. I don't think we show the deep faith just in the initial, yes, Lord. It's, it's shown on the, the three days of the journey. Now, how does Abraham grow in this kind of faith? How do we grow in this kind of faith? I think like Abraham, what we do is we would rehearse the promises of God. My guess is this, as Abraham's hiking up that mountain, he's remembering back to Genesis 15 when God had called him and given him the promise. You remember that where he says to Abraham, hey, we're gonna make a covenant. And Abraham's like, man, I was asleep as God made that covenant. I have nothing to do with it. God says, I'm going to make sure that my promises are true. I'm gonna make sure this covenant happens. God took full responsibility for the promise. I can picture Abraham as he's walking and he's saying to himself, God, you promised blessing. God, you promised life. God, God, you promised you'll fulfill your purposes. God, you promised that you'll be glorified. Listen, this is so important. Listen, what drove Abraham up that mountain was not the inner resolve, the strength of his character that he had. Abraham was not hiking up that mountain saying, I can do this. I can do this. I've got it deep within me. That's not biblical, that's Disney. There's nothing inside Abraham that was driving him, this deep thing welling up from in him. No, no, the only thing that can move us forward through difficult times, through trials, through testing, it's not the strength of your character, it's this unwavering conviction in the goodness and in the promises of God. 
We won't make it outside of that. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31 says this, that, that even the youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's, it's not about our inner strength that gets us through the trials. It's what? It's when we wait on the Lord. It's when we rehearse the promises. It's when we return to the gospel again and again. They make it to the top of where they're going. Look at verse nine. <clears throat> when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I mean, this is crazy. Now, if, if you grew up in church like, like I did, you might remember the, the pictures and the flannel graph and the, the coloring stuff where Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac was this little boy. Most scholars would say that the youngest he would have been at this time would be 15. He's anywhere between 15 and 30 years old. He, he's, he's old enough and strong enough that he could take his old man for sure. And what's he do? He gets up onto the altar. He trusts his dad. I mean, how many here, you have teenagers? Like, would your teen do that? Right? Most are honest going, yeah, not a chance, right? The one person who's like, no, I, my teen would for sure do it. The teen sitting beside them going, not a chance. I'm not doing it. And if we go on a camping trip, I'm not going next time. If that's what dad's thinking, right? No, right? We just, what's going on in this picture? Why would Isaac do this? This kind of faith that Isaac had to be able to trust in his dad saying, this is what the Lord's called us to. This, this trust, this faith doesn't just happen. It's been modeled for him. He'd heard his parents talk about the promises and the goodness of God. He would have seen his parents live it out. He, he would have caught that same fire-burning faith that led his parents their whole life. So moms and dads, Listen, you, you can read blogs and articles and hear all the statistics that, that when youth grow up, they're leaving the church like so much and, and they're, they're not sticking around. Listen, listen, as parents, faith begins in our home. When life is hard, what are your kids seeing in you? And I was thinking about this all week. Like, like oh, what do my daughters, what would they say is the greatest treasure in my heart? What would my kids say is our family's foundation? Do your kids see you surrender? Do they, do they see you fully trusting in God's goodness and in his promises? When, when life is hard, do they, they see you resting in the promises of God? When life is good, do they see you trusting in the promises of God? The, this kind of faith that Isaac had is, is, is not just taught, it's caught. So for you today, maybe, maybe you would say, you know what, that hasn't been my life. I, I haven't modeled this for my kids. Well, well, today, as you go out of here today, maybe you've missed this thing and, and messed on it, but today, what if today, if your kids could look in and see this is what following Jesus looks like? What if in your home, that's the only Jesus they get to see? Would they grab a hold of what they're seeing in your life and say, that's what it means to follow God. That's the character of God revealed. Verse 10 goes on. We hit our second point here. That's the test. What we're going to see now is the provision, how God provides. Look at verse 10. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The provision. Now, now if you're a, an Israelite, if you're, you're part of the, the, the children of God all throughout the Old Testament, as you read this, as you look back on this account of your father Abraham and, and what happened, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking this. If Abraham went through with that, Isaac would be dead, 
the promise would have ended and we wouldn't be here. We have no life apart from that substitute ram that was caught in the thickets. There's no life for us without that substitution. And, and they would see the substitution played over and over again throughout their history. In the Exodus, the firstborn son will die unless a lamb is substituted. Over and over again in the sacrificial system, there'd be every time they'd be, there's a lamb instead of me. There's a lamb instead of me. That, that my sin should be called before a holy God, but it's not because that lamb steps in instead of me. And they'd be asking the same question Isaac asked for thousands of years. Where's the lamb? You see it all throughout the, the prophets. Zechariah, where's the lamb? Jeremiah, where's the lamb? Malachi, where is the lamb? And then in the gospels, Jesus shows up. After years of silence, the last Old Testament prophesied, no prophets for years, Jesus shows up. John the Baptist shows up as the, the next prophet and he sees Jesus and he prophesies, he calls out and he says, behold, there's the lamb. We've been asking, where's the lamb? He goes, there he is, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus then is the lamb that all the other lambs are pointing to. So when we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, of a father and a son going up onto a hill, it should remind us, wait a minute, this is like another father and son. Where the son carried the wood on his back up the hill of Calvary. It's interesting because the the mountains of Moriah, guess where they are? It's where Calvary would be today. And there was another father that would bring his son. But there the father wouldn't stop his hand from coming down on Jesus. There Jesus would willingly give his life, a, a substitute for you and me. And God wouldn't stop that one so you and I could be set free. So that we would have life. So what's that mean? It means that in the midst of trials, if you're facing testing and trials right now, you, you, you never have to doubt the love of God to, to be in a trial and go, but does God love me? We see the cross. We see his care. We, we know that he took care of our, our greatest need, that our sin's been covered, our eternity is secure, our mourning will be turned to joy. So we see the cross. And when we see the cross, we also see that we deserve that cross, that because of our sin, because we do hold on to so many other Isaacs that, that Jesus had to die in our place. And so here's the thing, when, when you come to a sermon like this and you, you think of those things you hold on to, and, and if you're like me, you're probably saying, I don't know if I can let that go. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can sacrifice. I don't know if I can give that up to the Lord. I, I just can't. I can't do it. If I do that, it's going to kill me. And that's the point. We can't do it. Look at verse 14. Because of the substitute, Ram. It says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh, as it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Notice what Abraham didn't call that place. He didn't say, I'm gonna call this Abraham's amazing faith mountain. No, he said, God provided. Jehovah Jireh. There's something that's, that's more important than Abraham's impressive obedience that's demonstrated to us here. It's God's commitment to us. So how do we know that God loves us, that his, his promises will come true? Why? Because although God spared Abraham's son Isaac, he wouldn't spare his own son. Jesus wouldn't save his life, but he would give it up for us to redeem us, to be our substitute. You know, at the start of this message, I, I mentioned that, that what God called Abraham to do was so horrific that I, I just couldn't get my mind wrapped around it. How could God ask Abraham to do this? How could God ask him to kill his son? Why? Because God would do it. 
It's shocking because I, I, I think it should be shocking. I, I, you hear where people want to continue to, to, to lessen the horror of the cross. Well, well, don't say that God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Don't, don't say that Christ took on our sin and shame. Don't say that God sacrificed his son. Don't, don't, we got to get past that. We got to lessen the horror of the cross. We, we can't talk about, listen, listen, the cross should shock us. We shouldn't just move past it so quickly. I think it's horrific because it is horrific. Because it causes us to call out, God, why would you do this? Why? And for us to recognize, because my sin is that bad. Because God loves me that much. In fact, in Romans, Romans chapter eight, it says this. He, talking about God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness? When trials come, when, when suffering comes, are we gonna be separated from the love of God in Christ? He says this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When did Abraham grab a hold of that blessing? We, we want to increase in blessing. When, when does that happen? When, does, when do we, we increase in blessing? A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, talks about Abraham coming down off of the mountain after this ordeal. And it says when he walked off the mountain, he had the blessedness of possessing nothing. I mean, think about that. A Abraham still had a ton of wealth. He was still one of those wealthiest men around. He, he had his son Isaac still, but in that moment of laying Isaac down, he received the blessing of possessing none of it. Where from that moment on, the, the words my and mine and, and, and I and I have, I, I don't think they would have the same grip on him any longer. So, so when did that blessing come pouring into Abraham's life? Listen, this is it. This is the key to it right here. It's when he put Isaac on the altar. Abraham fully experienced that blessing when he fully surrendered. If you think about it, man, I, I wanna do that. Listen, surrender's different than sacrifice. You can sacrifice and still not surrender because when you, well, I'm gonna sacrifice huge, but you control what the sacrifice is. Surrender's different than obedience. You, you can obey all the laws of God. You can be such a checkmark Christian. You've got it all dialed in. You follow so closely, yet you're still not surrendered. You still cling to your Isaac. Surrender is this blank check with no restrictions. You say, Lord, all I have, all I am, all I ever hope to be is yours. Surrenders this, this response of this grateful heart that says, God, you gave everything for me. Without you, I have nothing. So in response, here's all that I have. And so this morning, as we, as we close, as the worship team comes up, here's the question we need to ask. Is there anything sacred in your life other than Jesus? The Bible would call it an idol. What's your Isaac? I'm gonna get us to do something this morning, something physical. I'm gonna ask us right now for all of us to, to hold out your hand. Just do it, all right? If you're like, I don't do the action thing, just do it, okay? That's, your, that's probably your Isaac. You want control. I'll judge you because you don't put your hand out, all right? Just hold it. You don't need to hold it both hands. Don't go charismatic. Just one's good, all right? So you got your hand held out. Keep that hand in front of you. Picture what's most important to you. Picture that in your hand. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's a relationship that you want to be in and you, and you just so crave. I just wish I had a relationship like that. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your control. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a dream that you've had. 
I always dreamt my life would be like this and it's not like this. I, I always dreamt that my marriage would be like this, that my family would be like this, that my, my job would be like this, that my home would be like this, that, that, that I just, this is not what I'd, and, and you hold on to that dream. Some of you, it's like Abraham, it's your kid. Your kid is your Isaac and, and you hold so tightly to, and, and just, just Lord, bring them back or, or Lord, don't let them go. And here's what I want you to do in this moment as you have pictured what that is. Squeeze your hand over that as, as tightly to represent how tightly you would hold on to that. In this moment, if you're willing, whatever that is in your hand, to give that to the Lord, regardless of what this means for you, then open your hand and your heart to say, Lord, they're yours. I think I have control, but I know that I don't. God, God, you do with these whatever you will. I'm releasing them to you. They're not mine anyway. They're yours. Would you stand with me as we uh, close off in worship this morning? Before we sing, I, I just want to pray a prayer over us. Maybe a prayer that you would pray as you think about what it is that you're releasing. And maybe for some of you this morning, it's like, I'm releasing it all. I've never made a commitment to follow Christ. That, that's what I'm letting go of today. But I'd encourage you, it's just a, a physical way to represent that. You know, when we worship, you see people that raise their hands and worship. This is one of the things that, that that would mean, that it's just this idea of, Lord, I just give it all to you. I'm not gonna hold any of this stuff. It's all yours. Maybe this morning that, that, you, that you'd be, be at this place like, Lord, I just want you to have it. Lord, as I sing today, my hands raised to say it's yours. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I want you to know that even right now, my fearful heart does not like releasing letting go of this that I hold on so tightly to. I can't let this go without it hurting. It's terrifying to release this, but Lord, I come to you. Father, I pray that right now that's the prayer throughout this room. God, that you would root out those things that are competing in our hearts things that have been held on to so long they become a foundation for life. God, that you would step in, that we could, we could release those, Lord God, that are, are across this room there would be Isaacs being given up to you. That you'll be our hope, that you'll be our joy, that you'll be our life, that you'll be our meaning, that you'll be our security. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.